Hey listeners, are you enjoying our podcasts and coaching advice? Do you feel like some guidance and accountability could help you stay motivated and focused during these uncertain pandemic times? We love connecting with our listeners and collaborating to make training work for your goals, your life, your personality. As a thank you for listening to our podcast, we want to offer any new clients $20 off the first month of coaching, which is normally $150. Email us at Julie and Lisa at runfartherandfaster.com to set up a time to connect over the phone to learn more. And be sure to mention this special offer as one of our loyal listeners. Our runners are often asking us how they can optimize their recovery. And aside from getting more sleep, one of our number one tips is compression socks. Compression socks can help increase blood flow from your legs to your heart and raise your blood oxygen levels. They also minimize leg pain and cramping and reduce swelling. So they're great for after that long run or hard workout. Our favorites are Lily Trotter's compression socks. They are the strongest compression that you can get without a doctor's prescription, and they are beautiful and fun to wear with your running gear. We love their Battle Axe collection, which recognizes powerful, unstoppable women warriors, but the socks can be worn by men or by women. So we're happy to have them as a sponsor, and they are offering our podcast listeners 20% off with the code RFF. 20 on the website, Lily Trotters, that's L-I-L-Y-T-R-O-T-T-E-R-S.com. We just wanted to take a quick break to give a shout out to our newest sponsor, UFOs. If you're a longtime listener, you know that UFO shoes are an integral part of our recovery, and we've been wearing their new boots all winter long. UFOs are the original recovery footwear brand, helping to reduce load and stress so your body can rebuild throughout the day. Often, the aches and pains we're feeling in our feet, ankles, knees, and even our hips can be due to not wearing supportive shoes. We wear our supportive running shoes when we're running, but what do we wear when we're not running? UFOs reduce shock impact on the body by 37%, making it easier for your body to recover faster. Stay tuned to our podcast and social media channels this month for a chance to win a pair of UFOs. And check them out now on their website at UFOs, O-O-F-O-S dot com. One of the pieces of running gear that we've both used for 15 years is our spy belt. It's one of our favorite pieces of running gear. Spy belt stands for small personal items. And we both started using it many years ago to carry our nutrition during races. It's great, no bounce, no chafing, and a great way to carry nutrition. But since then, I'll be honest, I use mine as my purse. I use it for my phone, my keys, wallet, and strap it on and don't have to worry about carrying a purse. So it's one of our favorite running items and we are so excited to have spy belt as one of our sponsors and they are offering our listeners 15 percent off through may 15th you can order online at spybelt.com and enter the code run farther faster 15 all one word lowercase letters give it a try we think that you'll love the spy belt for whatever you have to carry when you need your hands free Hi, Julie. Hi, Lisa. How are you? I'm good. We've had a little bit of a break during during our spring break. We've taken off a little time, so it's nice to be back. It is nice to be back. Sorry, folks, for skipping a week of podcasting, but we just wanted to take a week off for um, spring break slash Passover and spend some time 
with our families, but we're back. So how have you been? What's going on with you, Lisa? Oh, I've been good. It's been a nice, um, you know, a nice little bit of a break in downtime, even though uh, my kids are in hybrid, so they do typically go to school. Um, but, you know, they're also home for school. So not having that um, for a week has been has been really nice to kind of just free up our schedule. It was uh, my twins 15th birthday. So that was really exciting. And I was telling you the story before um, uh, my daughter wanted to the only thing she really wanted to do to celebrate her birthday was to go for a hike on our nearby um, one of our trails nearby, which is actually a pretty challenging hike. The Billy Goat Trail involves scrambling over rocks and actually scaling a one rock wall. And um, so I was happy to take her, but uh, we went a couple days because her friends could go on different days. So we went a couple days and uh, we went on Monday and Tuesday, I happened to be, I think I was, I don't know if I was putting on my shoe or my sock and I noticed on my ankle, I thought it was a little scab. I was like, did I cut myself or... And then something in my head just kind of pinged of like, I better check and make sure that's actually a scab and not something else. And as I looked closer, I realized I had a small tick on my ankle, which freaked me out. I've never had a tick. I mean, I had a dog when I was young. I used to get ticks and it always freaked me out then. But to have a tick on my leg and I was careful, you know, um, you know I don't really think when we go hiking, at least where we go at the Billy Goat Trail, which is a lot of rocks and scrambling really think of like woods and ticks, but I was pretty cautious. I wore, um, when I went on Friday, I actually wore uh, my Lily Trotters compression socks, which are high socks, which great, but not only compression and help with recovery, but also kept me protected from any bugs or ticks. But when we went back on Monday, I remember they were in the wash and I threw on a pair of shorter socks. So, um, and I will full disclosure, Lily Trotters is one of our awesome sponsors. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about later. We're gonna do a giveaway from Lily Trotters. Um, we love them for recovery, but as I now found out, they're also great for tick protection because I put on these other socks on Monday that were low socks and I had leggings on, but there was that gap between my leggings and my socks. And um, that's exactly where I found the tick. So that's probably how it got on me. And I found it on Tuesday. So it was less than, uh, it's probably about 24 hours after we had been hiking, maybe a little less. And I did have to get the tick off. I got a little bit freaked out. I uh, texted my good friend, Melissa, who's a pediatrician uh, and said, do I need to worry about this? And she said that, you know, if it was less than 36 to 48 hours, I should be okay. If there was no mark, if I'd gotten the whole tick out and just to keep an eye on things, I made sure I put antibiotic cream on and um, I'm keeping an eye out, but that was a little bit frightening. So I would just, uh, you know, let everyone know as you're headed out for the summer, the spring and the summer outings, even if it's, um, you know, just, uh, you know, a local hike on a, on a trail or, or something more involved or really out in the, in the, in more, uh, you know, ungroomed trails, watch yourself for ticks and check yourself and your kids and anyone else who goes with you when you get home, because they're, they're out there and they're coming out now, especially I think in the spring. So, um, just check yourself. Mine was really small. It wasn't tiny, tiny. It wasn't like a you know, pinhead, it was a little bit bigger than that. So it was visible, um, but it would be easily overlooked. So definitely cover up, um, spray if you're somebody who, you know, it's okay spraying some, some deep or whatever bug spray and just check yourself when you get home and wear high socks. Wear your Lily Chatter's compression yeah. socks. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great advice. I always think about covering my head. Um, I think about ticks, you know, when you, when I, when you, even though I'm not that tall, sometimes when I run like tree branches that are low hanging, will sort of brush my hat and that's, it's always good to wear a hat, but you kind of forget about the fact that they can stick to your lower extremities. So, um, great point. And, uh, yeah, multi-use there with, with those, uh, compression socks. So, and can we just talk for reminder. one minute when we're talking about bugs that I'm a little bit freaked out about the cicadas that are coming. So let's just say that. I don't know if that's going to affect our running, 
or cycling outside or anything else we do outside. We'll talk about that as that happens. But in here in the Northeast, we're expecting the 17 year cicada brood to come back out and it's supposed to be billions and billions of harmless, but really to me, gross and scary cicadas. And if you haven't turned off our podcast by now, after hearing both of these stories, thanks for continuing <laughs> to listen. Yeah. All right. Let's change the subject. <laughs> How was your week? How are you, Julie? I'm doing great. Um, I spent some time with my family this week. It was really great. We got a change of scenery, went out of town. And I just want to point out something about traveling and running that I always forget. So I'm kind of going to say it now just to remember. And that is, at least for me, I always anticipate that when I go on vacation or I'm out of town running, that my running will feel better because it's stress-free and you know typically when we're we're running in our normal routine we're we're squeezing it in between things we're scheduling it in and of course when you're running when you're away and uh on vacation or in a change of scenery you would think that your running would feel better because you're lighter but for me i always notice that just traveling whether by car by air and going to a new location my running kind of feels um, lethargic for the first few days. And I, it always surprises me. And I think I talked about this a little bit over the summer. We were in the Outer Banks last summer. And I remember I just decided after running the first day of vacation to take the entire week off from running. And I just walked every day and I came back. I didn't lose any fitness and I felt really refreshed. So what I did this time was I listened to my body and I ended up um, walking about every other day, running every other day. So I fit in a few runs and by the end of the week I was gone, I felt really good. It just took my legs a while to adjust. And so I guess the moral of the story is, and just to remind everyone out there that our bodies are not, um, you know, automatic. We're not metrodomes. And sometimes you just have to listen to your body and recognize that even if you're not stressed or if you've gotten plenty of sleep and you're feeling really good mentally, sometimes you're physically, your body needs a little bit of a break. So um, I feel very relaxed and um, I don't feel like, of course, I lost any fitness by running less mileage. Um, in fact, I'm almost rejuvenated and excited to get back into it. I don't know what get back into it really looks like in the sense that, um, you know, I'm not specifically training for anything right now, but I will say sort of where my places um, in terms of running right now is I am preparing to start training for something. So for me, what that looks like is getting back to my baseline of, um, you know, about 40 miles per week, um, 35 to 45, 40 miles per week, um, easy running about 80% of that, very easy running, 20% of that, um, some more um, speedier workouts, and then a long run of anything between 12 and 14 miles. Right now, my longest runs are about between 10 and 12 miles generally. And I'm probably at about, I've hovered around 30 miles per week for the past couple months. And, and I'm very comfortable there. So I'll work on increasing that over the next uh, month or two and get myself back to that place. And that way I'll be ready to go when races return. And um, if I am accepted into Boston, I'll be ready to start that training. So how about you, Lisa? What's going on with your running this week? 
My running, actually, I have to say my running, I feel like has been a little bit rejuvenated. And I, I do agree with you, first of all, on, you know, just when we go on vacation doesn't mean there's an automatic switch that our bodies are on, automatically on vacation. A lot of times the fatigue that we have catches up to us once we slow down. And also the travel of like dehydration or sitting for a long time if you're in a car, you know, a new location. Sometimes you go where it's warm and all of a sudden it's warm out and not used to it. So definitely agree with that. But I have been for many months now, I feel like just really um, kind of in a running rut, like just not motivated, um, not excited to go out for a run. Part of it was the cold weather, um, but part of it was just not having a goal. Um, you know, the cycling has helped with that. It's helped mix it up so I could focus on cycling. And um, the running just became though kind of really, um, I was really, to be honest, dreading sometimes going out for a run. I'd put it off all day and then say, all right, maybe I'll go out now and I'll say, okay, I'll go for five miles. And I'd go for three and say, that's enough. And um, just didn't feel great. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was running my normal route and I have a, a friend um, that I've known for several years. It's in our running community and he's um, a great, great runner. Um, Paul and he, um, I see him often out on our, my running route, like we'd cross paths and wave and say hi. And a couple of weeks ago, you know, he did a U-turn and started running with me. And I, I as background, I've, and you know this, really, I've never run with anybody. I am a solo runner. And for, uh, for a number of reasons, primarily um, I, I'm too lazy or don't want the added work of having to get in a car, drive somewhere, wait for somebody, meet somebody. Um, second, like, I don't want to have to run somebody else's pace. Like if, if they're running a little faster, or a little slower, I don't want to feel like I have to adjust um, my pace that day or, or particularly speed up or feel like I'm slowing them down. Um, you know, I want to run my route. Like I just, I have my route. I like to run. Like I don't. So for all of those reasons, I've kind of always, I've always been a solo run. I think you and I have run together a handful of times and that's pretty much the extent of my running with other people. And, um, you know, he did a U-turn one day and started running with me. And um, over the last couple of weeks, we figured out we do run about the same pace. Um, we just run into each other. There's no extra effort to have to meet up or, you know, we usually just are on the same schedule and uh, we meet up and it has totally rejuvenated my running. I feel so much better running. I look forward to going out running. I look forward to meeting up with him. Great conversations. We are very similar philosophies on running. Um, he is a RCA certified running coach as well that just did the course for his own knowledge. He's a very accomplished runner. He's run Boston, um, has some really impressive marathon PRs, a lot of experience under his belt. So we share a lot of um, just running tips that we've come up with along, you know, over the years, we find out we have a lot of, you know, uh, experiences in common with our running and otherwise. So it's been so nice. So for me, you know, we always talk about mixing up your running, like change your route or change something about your running or how to get motivated to run. And for me, that was changing the fact that I never ran with anybody. And now I've got a, a nice running buddy who, again, doesn't, you know, the, the pace matches up. And, and if I lagging, like I'll tell him, like, you know, he's tap, totally happy to slow down with me a little bit. Um, and, and so there's no pressure and, you know, if he's almost done with his run, we'll just finish you know, up and he'll drop off at his house and I'll continue running and come back to mine. Um, so there's no, there, it's, it's very low pressure and it's, um, it's totally, that's been the change that I needed. Like uh, the weather has helped too, that it's getting a little bit nicer, but that, that just really made me feel more excited about running. I'm in the same boat as you, I'm not training for anything right now. So kind of waiting in limbo for Boston registration. Uh, we should mention the virtual registration open this week, but those who are qualified and plan to try to get into the in-person race, we're told to wait until that in-person registration opens and see what happens with that before entering. So we're both kind of in the same boat of just um, waiting for that registration to open on April 20th. And then, and then we'll see. So honestly, in my head, 
that's kind of the first race I have on the calendar in my, I, I'm not that super motivated to do a race before that. There isn't a lot on the calendar. So in my head, um, if we find out, you know, I got into Boston in whenever they announce that, that will kind of be the start of my training as well. I think that sounds like a good plan. It also allows us sort of the, the break we need in terms of, um, it's hard to think about our own racing when we are, it, I think we're both really excited about all of the runners we're coaching who we're sending to, to races. And for me, it's really hard to think about myself at all because I'm expending a lot of energy and time finding, helping our runners find races that are appropriate for them, that they feel comfortable running, that are close by and meet all of the COVID precautions and, and distance, desired distances and preparing our runners for those races. I, I really, I know you feel the same way. I feel like I'm going to these races to run them because it is so much more intense during these times. We know there's there that our runners particularly are so inspiring. So many of our runners have been training through this time. Here are you and I not as motivated to train yet. We have these incredible runners who are just doing amazing things during a time when most people like us are unmotivated. So we sent a bunch of runners last weekend to two marathons. One is called, was called the Two Rivers Marathon in Pennsylvania, um, in the Poconos. And we sent a big group of gals there and they're all friends and they've all been running together through the pandemic. They called themselves their little running bubble and they encouraged each other through their training. And then of course, encouraged each other through their racing. They all signed up for this race, went up together and it just looked like they had the best time. And they each met their goals in an individualized way. While some of them were going up there to achieve a PR, some of them were going up there just to rip the bandaid off and start racing again. Um, some adjusted their goals, went in thinking they would train for a marathon. And then about a month out said, you know what, I think I'm going to do the half marathon instead. And they didn't feel badly about that. It just sort of was a goal that met them where they were in their training. And we fully supported that. And then of course we had um, another one of our runners the same weekend, the same day, do the Tidewater Marathon. So um, we just- And we should so say the proud. Tidewater, that marathon, that was an interesting, that one was um, really limited to people who qualified, had a qualifying time in the past few years before COVID with, within their Boston qualifying time. So it's similar to the last chance um, race that you do where the, the field was already kind of narrowed down into some pretty fast, some pretty fast runners. And, and um, both of those races, we, we felt pretty confident early on that they would happen. We saw they had very elaborate COVID um, plans put out. And this just goes back to looking at races and, and assessing whether or not you think they're going to happen. You know, if you see that the, the, the race director has put together a COVID protocol, COVID plan, safety plan, that they are working in conjunction with the local authorities or that they have their course on a route that does not necessarily need to have traffic closed or, you know. So there are definitely factors you can look at. And those both races, we looked at early on and said, we think those have a good chance of happening versus some other races that um, weren't as clear on their COVID plans or their course apps or, um, you know, the communications weren't, weren't as clear. Um, so, uh, so we were pretty confident. And I think the really nice thing about a couple things, but the really nice thing about the two rivers group that we coached is seeing, um, their support for each other. And that, that I think was really the ultimate goal for all of them is to go and have something to celebrate after a year, a really tough, um, just really hard year. They had something to look forward to and they went up together and they had a really great time together. And I thought that was so that to me, their whole 
story and coaching them as a group has been really inspiring to me to see like this is why we run like this is part of part of the reason is we support each other the relationships that we form um that that's been such a so fun to watch and so inspiring and on the other hand um you know jane who went um, by herself to to um the Tidewater Striders Marathon uh, is one of our master's runners who's over 50 and she is somebody who keeps striving to get better. And um, so many times we think like, okay, we're getting older, like the best we can do is maintain or it's okay. You know, we start to give up our goals a little bit and Jane has not been somebody who does that. And she had a huge PR back in September at the Not Sob Marathon that we both did together, um, but that wasn't enough. She thought, you know, she was work willing to work to get it down even more and she did that at this race and uh again another really reason our runners inspire us is that we have runners of all abilities and all ages and all um experiences who are willing to put in the work and 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 believe in themselves and you see that it, it absolutely can pay off so i felt really great after last weekend just like you said i kind of live vicariously through them i don't feel like i personally need a race right now but to see them do that got me excited about uh, running and reminded me why we love this so much. Me too. I agree with you. I think the other part of it is that uh, a lot of people follow all of these ladies on social media. And I, I hope that when people saw what they all did last weekend collectively, that for those that are feeling a little bit of uh, anxiety over getting back into the racing scene, and I don't mean anxiety because of COVID, I mean anxiety because we've all been out of this racing thing, most of us for quite some time. And I think it's perfectly normal to feel like, I don't know if, am I going to be able to do that again? It's been so long and seeing people out there doing their thing and recognizing that, you know, just going for it and, and putting yourself out there and achieving a new goal or striving, if not for a PR striving to just rip off the bandaid and get back out there and, and put yourself in a position where you're running your best and giving the best you have on that day. That's what racing's all about. And we all haven't really had that opportunity to be in that environment for quite some time. So seeing others doing it in, and seeing others striving for things during this difficult time, I think is really inspiring. And we just wanted to talk about that for a little bit. And that is um, the feeling of racing and sort of post-pandemic running anxiety that we've seen among some of our runners and what we mean by that. And Oh, I feel it too, by the way. Like, I, I think that's why I'm hesitant to race. Like I, I have that same feeling of like, we don't know where we, like, I, I, I don't even know, you know, I, I, I feel it is what I'm trying to say. I, I definitely you know, feel that I, anxiety. I think you're one step ahead of me. I don't even think I've allowed myself to feel it yet, but I will feel it. If that makes sense. I'm still um, not even quite there yet, but I think it's really normal. And I think part of it is that, First, you, you're acknowledging that it's a thing. I haven't even acknowledged yet that it's a thing, but it's a thing. And I think this anxiety is the same anxiety people might feel this first time they go to a concert or any sort of crowded arena or any any sort of normal thing. Going into somebody's house without a mask on. Yeah. I mean, I really I just read an article that talked about kind of the coming out of the pandemic lifestyle and how going into it, we had a transition period and coming out of it. it it's the same thing. And, you know, it's not dissimilar to PTSD. I feel like it, it is. And we've now had a year over a year. Of, of being in this 
this situation. And I absolutely agree with you that it's, um, you know, it, it is, it, it's just that transition back to what used to be normal is going to be just as difficult as it was to transition to a new normal. For sure. So in terms of going back to racing, um, we were really inspired by what all of our ladies did last weekend because they just went out there and put themselves out there. And I think the biggest thing to recognize besides that it's normal to feel anxious about a race and certainly very normal to feel even more anxious about returning to racing after such a long layoff from racing due to 2020 and 2021. But I think in terms of that, it's really important to not identify, and we talk about this a lot, with your race times. It's really important to go into a race, look around and say, I'm gonna give it my best, give, give my best effort with what I have today, with where I am right now. And looking around and saying, and everyone else here is in the same position as me. And what we mean by that is that don't go into a race saying, I'm typically a blankety blank 5K runner. I'm typically a runner who does a marathon in X time erase that. Look at where you are right now. Look at where your training has been over the past year and look at what has happened to you over the past year, collectively taking all of that information and going out there and giving it your best on that day. And then of course, just like any other race, you have other variables, which we cannot control, which include weather and, um, you know, the race course, which of course during these times is last minute adjusted where the race may advertise that it's a flat course and then the last minute they have to change um, due to some permitting and it becomes a hilly course. We see that a lot. So what? Just getting out there and giving it your best. And if you can, looking at this sort of first few races after the pandemic, looking at them as sort of a fresh start. So rather than comparing your race times, um, pre-pandemic saying, well, this is, I'm going to start here. This is where my bar is and I'm going to improve from where I am right now. Um, kind of like for women out there, childbirth, you know, when you, when you have a, a child, you go back to racing, you're not going to sit there after your first race post baby and compare yourself to how you ran before you had kids. No, no, no. You're going to go out there and say, I'm super proud of myself. This is my first race post baby. So and we've talked we about that, that with our with our with our menopausal, you know, athletes as well. That you know, you really have to put it in kind of a box of, this is my post age forty or forty five, you know, uh, performance. But I absolutely agree with you. And I think one other point, um, you know, you mentioned all the variables. And I think something that's really important for people to recognize now, especially with the um, kind of pandemic racing is that they are very different than our previous racing. They are smaller. They are, you know, our runners that were at Two Rivers said there were many times they were the only one they could see on the course. That is not normal. It is not conducive to having that race adrenaline. Spectators are limited. When there's nobody cheering for you, that's a very different type. It's almost like a virtual race that you just happen to be timed, you know, and have a bib for, but it's the same thing with virtual races. When we're doing, none of us really look to virtual races and say, oh, I'm going to be able to do my, you know, run my potential because we know it's not the same. And I think that's really important looking at these pandemic races, which is something, you know, you alluded to races can be different there. You know, here we have some local races that have been going on, but they're on um, paths in they're in paths in um, in our parks. So that's different than running on a big open road. Um, the paths are narrow. They may have leaves on them. It's hard to pass people. Um, so I think that's really important to, I think it's a good way too to kind of rip off that Band-Aid and if somebody wants to get back into racing and look at this is my, 
pandemic racing opportunity and just that process of getting back out there, feeling that race day, kind of feeling it out and seeing what you do. You may surprise yourself. Um, but I do think that that's a really important point to put it in a box of this is where I am now. This is the situation now. It's different than anything from before. And so I can't put those same expectations on myself. Absolutely. And, and just to reiterate too, really try not to place a lot of value in your results, um, whether before race day or during the race or after. You can only go up from here, number one. And number two is that with all of the variables, it's really hard to put that pressure on yourself. So if you can instead think of racing right now as effort-based and getting out there and saying, did I give it my best effort? And whatever result flows from that, great, that's your result. But try really hard not to put a lot of emphasis on the number and instead emphasize your training and your race execution and recognize that if you've trained properly um, and you've gone out and you want to have a goal, that's amazing. But also recognize that if you're out there and you're running and you're running at an effort that is hard for you, then you're running your race effort. And that's where you are. And don't sit there looking at your garment or your watch and saying, oh, oh, I'm only doing this pace. Usually I do this by this point in a 5K. I don't know what's going on. Oh, man, I'm terrible. No, 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 no. Say, I am so grateful to be out here. This is really exciting. I'm in my first post-pandemic race and I'm out here giving it my all and I can only go up from here. So uh, that's our advice in terms of getting out there for your baseline post-pandemic race. And for those of you listening who've been racing throughout this time, good for you. This is, this is not meant to say that you shouldn't go out there and have goals. This is more for those who haven't raced in a long time that have had a long hiatus and just need a little bit of encouragement to get back out there and give it your all. Because it, it does take a little bit of courage to get put yourself out there, especially when you're not quite sure what that's going to look like after a long layoff from racing. Yeah, I think that's probably my biggest, you know, my, what's going on in my head is what, what is, you know, what am I going to be able to do? Like, you just don't know. We haven't been in those um, circumstances and, and been in that, in a race day um, situation for so long. And again, even when we are, it may not be the same, but it's also not to say that we can't PR during this time. And look, we just had a runner who did. So it's not, it's not out of the question. It's just, I think you're exactly right. I think you need to look at it as um, kind of go in with low expectations. And if you exceed those, great. If not, that's okay, because that's where you are. And like you said, um, hopefully we're all going to go up from here. And, and speaking of um, where to go from here, we have a lot of runners, um, a lot in our speed and strength program, and a lot who are starting to come to, to us now um, with eyes towards a fall marathon. And we're hopeful that some of these fall marathons will happen. We're hopeful that at least the small marathons Will take place and and you know it's a really good question now and i just had it yesterday when we talked to a prospective um client um like wh when do i start and where do I start? so it's really hard to figure that out sometimes because for everyone it's a little bit different in terms of when to start but the biggest thing we would say is don't start training for a marathon too early so if you're someone that you are interested in targeting a fall marathon but your fall marathon isn't until november then you don't really need to start specifically training for that fall marathon in May or June. And that's because you, you just don't want your marathon training cycle to take up so much of so much time that you're doing too much, 
not necessarily too soon, but just too much. So by the time you get to the start line, you're overly cooked. Now that's going to look different for everyone. Obviously, if you are a first time marathoner and your longest run to date is six miles and you're trying to get up to 20, a couple of 20 milers before you run your first marathon, that's very different than someone who's a seasoned marathoner who's already up to a baseline of, you know, 12, 13, 14 miles. If you are targeting a fall marathon, but it's not until late fall, we really recommend waiting to start that marathon training cycle about three, four, maybe five months before the marathon. And five months is a lot. And that means you're someone that you're taking maybe some time off in the middle of your training cycle due to vacation and things like that. But generally, what we would say for step one in terms of determining when to start your marathon training cycle is step one is assess where you are right now. So if you are someone that you have a nice base of between 30 and 40 miles per week, and you can go out there and do a long run of between 12 and 14 miles uh, easily on a weekend, then we would say that you do not need to start your marathon training cycle in earnest um, before three or four months before your goal marathon. If you are someone that you haven't run much at all, and that's totally fine, but you want to target a fall marathon, then we would suggest giving yourself longer than that. We would suggest giving yourself somewhere between uh, four and six months. And six months is a lot, but six months is if you haven't really run at all and you need to build to where you're able to run uh, on consecutive weekends between 10, 12, and 14 mile long runs. So it's really important to look at where you are. If you, if you have questions about that, reach out to us and we can kind of help you through that. But also remember that a lot of seasoned marathoners, and if you are one of them, you have a lot of muscle memory. So we are big believers in less is more. And what we mean by that is that we would rather, if you have a choice between a marathon training cycle, and this is marathon specific, of between three months and five months, we're, we're going to pick three months because at the end of the day, you have a better chance of getting to the start line injury-free if your training, and again, this is for seasoned marathoners, if your training cycle is a little bit shorter than if your training cycle is very long. And that's just because our bodies can only take so much of marathon training. This is very marathon specific, by the way. If you're targeting a half marathon, um, your training cycle can be anywhere between three, four, five, or six months. And that's because you can slowly develop a base and your body can generally take runs of anywhere between eight, 10, 12 miles weekend to weekend better than if your body is able to take marathon training, which of course is runs anywhere between 16 and 22 miles over the weekend. So just using common sense and recognizing that marathon training is a very different animal than training for other distances. And as a result, we really have to honor our bodies, look at where we are right now and assess when we should start. Yeah, I think that's really important. A couple a couple points on what you mentioned. First, you know, you mentioned that kind of that long run, but we also want to look at your total weekly mileage. So for runners who are going to be training for a marathon, you may be getting up to 40, 50, 60 miles per week. And that is a lot um, on your body. And to do that for month after month after month uh, can be really, can, can eventually be, you know, point of diminishing returns. So can be detrimental eventually. And that goes to the point that if there's, if there are runners who've been just running through the entire pandemic and running high mileage weeks, just because of the time and 
don't have anything to train for and you're already running 50, 60, 70 mile weeks, or maybe you're doing a you know virtual marathon every you know few months, or you're you know throwing in a lot of extra mileage. You want to think now about how to pull back on that a little bit before you start marathon training in earnest. Because if you go into marathon training already fatigued and already sort of overtrained, it's just going to build on that and accumulate. So if you are somebody who's looking at a fall marathon and you're saying right now, well, I'm already running, you know, 60 miles a week or 50 miles a week, or even, you know, somewhere above 50 miles a week, you might want to think like, what can I do right now with some of that running time? to um, put myself in a good position to train for a healthy marathon. So maybe that's pulling back on some running and working on strength. Maybe that's pulling back on some running and doing some cross training. Maybe that's pulling back some running and just getting some more rest before you go launch into an actual marathon training program. Because we do see a lot of runners who go into marathon training already kind of behind the eight ball and already fatigued and already um, sort of like, you know, their bodies aren't in that great position to, to start that build because they're just worn down from from a lot of running um, on a lot of mileage so if that's where you fall it might be worth thinking about how you can change things over the next you know four to six weeks or a couple of months depending on when you're looking at a fall marathon of how you what you can do in those couple of months to get yourself in a good position um, to start it's the flip side of you know needing to build up some mileage maybe it's cutting back some mileage yeah, it's also a great time, um, in addition to thinking about the little things you can do physically, it's also a great time to look at your nutrition, because nutrition is really hard to train to change during a marathon training cycle. But this is a really opportune time to test out some nutritional, um, maybe some things that you want to implement that you haven't before. This is a really good time to start thinking about that. Perhaps you want to change up what you're eating day to day a little bit, maybe adding in some more carbohydrates that are, of course, the fueling type of carbohydrates, not, you know, your Easter candy, but um, much to our dismay at the same time. Yeah. Maybe you also want to look at sort of what you're doing for fueling pre-run, post-run and during your run. Uh, We've noticed that, especially during this time, when we understand this completely, a lot of people have sort of been ignoring their nutrition and just kind of going out and casually running and building their mileage, but not really changing their nutrition a lot. And this is really important stuff because it can really make or break your race, but you can't start practicing this, you know, six weeks before your race, you've really got to implement your nutrition and, and what you plan to do to fuel well before race day. So let's say you're someone where you easily vomit up your goos, or your gels. We've talked about this a lot, but it's worth reiterating. And where you say, instead of, I need to take more nutrition, you say, you know, I don't really fuel as much during a marathon. It's worked for me because I find I have gastrointestinal issues when I take too much food in during a marathon. No, that means you need to change your fueling because you really do need to fuel during a marathon. And what better time to experiment with that during um, a time when you're not specifically training. So just kind of thinking about what isn't working for you or what hasn't worked for you in the past, uh, getting some advice from a registered dietitian, um, thinking about sort of what tastes good to you, what foods you do like, figuring out how you can slowly introduce more carbs into your daily, I hate using the word diet, but you know, diet, meaning what you eat day to day, so that your fuel for your runs, um, like cauliflower rice is really, um, something that's really popular right now. In fact, Chipotle just introduced cauliflower rice and we know a lot of people that substitute cauliflower rice. Okay. This is just an example. If you're marathon training, you, you cannot fuel on cauliflower rice. That's not a carbohydrate. So 
kind of thinking about how you're eating now and thinking about how you can switch that around a little bit to better support your marathon training, even half marathon training. That's still a lot of distance. And we always talk about marathon training, but when we give a lot of these tips, we're talking about general run training. You're not going to gain weight if you are eating healthy carbohydrates that are fueling your runs. In fact, you're going to run better. And when you finish your run, if you have enough protein and you're making sure you have the right fat and you have carbohydrates, you're going to restore all of the tears. You're going to refuel your muscles. You're going to repair the tear rather, and that will set you up nicely for your next workout. So these are just little things that you can be taking care of right now while we're in this sort of holding pattern in terms of waiting to start marathon training. And if you're not quite sure when to start that training or you're restless because you really want to start it, but you're not quite there yet, use this time as an opportunity to figure out what little things you can do to set yourself up for success. So six, seven, eight months down the road when it's time to tow the start line, you are towing the start line healthy and ready to run. And one last thing I just want to reiterate in terms of when to start marathon training or even half marathon training is every body is different. And we recognize that some people like Lisa, you just pointed out, there are some people out there that have consistently run 50, 60 miles per week, every week without injury. Um, perhaps though, you haven't done a lick of speed work and you want to introduce that speed work. That's great. We would recommend when you introduce that speed work to reduce your mileage a little bit because that may be the tipping point at which your body will say, whoa, whoa, whoa I can't do this. So you don't want to test, test things, maintain that same mileage, and then introduce a new thing, i.e. speed work. So reduce your mileage and introduce that speed work, see how you do, and then consistently build in that speed work and add in a little bit more mileage, just a tiny bit, and see how you do. But recognize that our bodies are not, we are not invincible. And while you may be able to sustain high mileage, recognize that if you're adding in a new factor, that could be the tipping point. So that is why we are big believers and less is more. We are big believers in the 80-20 rule, which is that 80% of your running should be at a very easy conversational pace. 20% can be that more fun stuff. And when we say that 80%, that conversational pace, and we will say this all over and over and over because we see it all the time. It is not a pace during which you can barely talk and run. It's not even a pace where you have to kind of look at your Garmin regularly to make sure you're maintaining your conversational pace, which you believe, just throwing a number out there, is nine minute miles. And you can talk while you're maintaining that pace, but you gotta keep looking at your watch to make sure you're maintaining that pace and staying focused. No, 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 it's the pace you can run that day, whatever that looks like, that allows you to easily talk and run at the same time. On a hotter day, that pace may be closer to 10 minute miles. On a cooler day where you've gotten a lot of sleep, that pace could be 845. It's variable. We see this a lot with our runners. Don't feel like you're a metrodome where you have to maintain a certain conversational pace because that's what Daniel's running formula says you should be running based on you know extrapolating your 5K time from two years ago. And that should be your conversational pace. 
No. Or that's what you, owe, you know, your, your easy pace was always a certain pace. Well, guess what? Uh, during the pandemic, that is usually not the case for most of us or just on, on a given day that might not be, but if we have an expectation in our heads of that's what it's going to be. And I think that is, um, that is critical. And that's, you know, the 80-20 running is something we've talked about before. And Matt Fitzgerald, who we really respect as an author, has written the book, 80-20 running, uh, run stronger and race faster by training slower. And I think the the problem that we run into or the challenge that we as coaches run into and even as runners ourselves is, is what is easy. And I think our barometer of what is easy can easily be off. We, again, either have expectations on ourselves of, yeah, my easy pace is nine minute miles. Well, it might not be that anymore, or it might not be that this particular day. Even Matt Fitzgerald says he doesn't look to pace. He looks to perceived effort, heart rate. Um, you know, more pace, you really can't put a pace on that easy pace. You can technically, if you put it in a pace calculator and look at your race times and see then what should your easy training pace be. But as coaches, we've seen it's all over the place. Some people can run their easy effort and keep a low heart rate a little faster than that. Some need to go way slower. That my my easy pace is way slower than it would say in a in a running calculator based on my on my race times. Um, and I think that that's the key is that many of us are what we're doing is running this eighty percent at what we think is easy, but it's really moderate. And I've I've mentioned this before, and I'll say it again. I, I saw, heard this great analogy of if you see um, two exact same running shoes, the same pair of running shoes, and uh, you know you're looking at buying them, and one pair at one place is one hundred and fifty dollars, and one pair at another place is one hundred and eighty dollars. It's kind of a no-brainer, um, unless you're trying to support maybe a small local business or something. <laughs> it's a, a no-brainer that you're going to buy the one that's $150, right? Because it's less cost. And that's the same thing with this aerobic building. We can build our aerobic engine in kind of a range of paces. It's kind of our maybe 60 to 70, 75%, maybe heart rate zone or maximum effort. It's that it, there's a zone, but we're going to build that aerobic engine if we're working at the bottom of that zone or at the top of that zone. So where would you build it? You would build it at the bottom so there's less cost to your body. Like if you get the same benefits, why would you put in that extra effort that's going to put more wear and tear on your body and risk a you know a little bit higher risk of injury when you're going to get the same exact benefit from that easier, that lower cost, easier pace. So I think that we a lot of us um, again, have expectations. And then other factors come into play. And we just talked about running with people, which I think is great. And I, you know, we found good running partners, but maybe you run with a running partner and, and they're just a little bit faster, but you think like, I'm okay with this. Like I can run, like I can do this. Or, um, you know, there are, maybe you're crunched for time and you only have an hour and you think, but I still have to get in my six miles in my hour. Like I can't do five and a half. That would be blasphemy to stop my watch before it gets to, you know, but you're crunched for time. So you push a little harder, or maybe you have in your head that so-and-so runs this pace per mile, and this is their marathon time. So I need to be able to run this for my easy run so I can hit their marathon pace. That's backwards. That's like, that's totally not the right way to think about it. Our training paces don't determine our race paces. So there are so many factors that can skew what is our easy effort at that, that we can lose track of it. So I think that's such a good reminder now as we go into training for whatever we're training for marathons. This is particularly important for marathon training and half marathon training, but for whatever we're going into is that 80% where we're running easy, like reevaluate, is this really 
my easy effort today on this given day, on this given course with whatever conditions I'm dealing with, is this really my easy effort? Because if I'm um, running a little bit harder, it's more cost to my body. I'm paying that extra $30 for those shoes when I don't need to be wasting that money. We want to have, I love my kids are, have a really great running coach, I mean, cycling coach who I love how he puts this. He tells them basically you start the day or the workout with $100 in your pocket and you're going to need to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner today. So if you go out at the beginning and you spend $80 on the most fancy best breakfast, you're only going to have $20 rest to get, get you through the rest of the day. So really your job is to spend that money very wisely. And so maybe you spend, you know, $15 for breakfast and you, you meet it out very carefully. And then when you get to lunch, you're going to spend $20 for lunch. And then when you get to dinner, you're going to have extra money for dinner, but maybe you don't spend it all. Maybe you spend $50, but you have some left in the bank so that if you have to have that final kick and he talks about adding money to that bank during your workout. So, you know, in, in cycling, it's a little different because you can draft behind somebody and save some energy, but it's the same thing in running. We can find ways where we can bank a little extra money. Can we add some nutrition? Can we, you know, fuel ourselves? Can we, um, draft behind somebody if it's windy. Can we that hill at an even effort versus charging up that hill and put a little extra money in our bank to use later? So I really like it helps the kids think about, um, you know, using their resources and pacing themselves. And I think that's a really good, again, a good analogy back to running of like, how much money do you have in your bank? And if you go out and you're spending all that money um, by running too fast, you're going to you're going to go into debt and it's going to come back and it's going to um, really be a detriment to your training. I absolutely love that analogy. I think that's so smart. And I think it applies to nutrition as well. If you spend all of your money on a shitty breakfast, that's not going to set you up <laughs> for having much money left over the rest of the day to fuel your training. But to your point, and just something else to reiterate is we recognize the reality of running a pace that is the perfect pace for you on each given day um, is tough, especially if you have a big group of runners that you run with or running partners that you cherish and you want to be able to run side by side. Have an honest conversation with your running partners and let them know that you really want to take your training seriously and you want to set yourself up for success. And therefore, you're, you might be running behind them a little bit more this training cycle because you want to make sure that you're running the right pace for you that day. And you know what? It ends up that if you end up running, uh, you know, 30 seconds slower than what your running partners or your pace group is running, you end up finishing during a long run, what, five, you know, five, 10 minutes after them, have them wait for you and have a cup of coffee outside and finish your conversation and know that you just set yourself up for success for the rest of the week because you won't be spending the next several days trying to recover from a long run that you ran that was too fast. So right, you saved some money in your bank and they, they may or may not, maybe, maybe they're, maybe they're easy pace and their, or their easy effort is a little bit faster than the day yet. That's okay. But you made sure that you kept your investment and that you finished that run with some money in your bank to like spend on the next run that you haven't gone into, into debt or, you know, you don't owe anything. Um, that's, that's, that's on you. And that's incumbent upon you to really be the one who says, this is where I need to be on this day. And that's, that is really important. And again, I, I think we talk about this 80, 20, and we talk to our runners all the time about keeping the easy runs easy. And, and it's just uh, the, the critical question is, 
what is easy and and that really is individual and even as coaches it's hard for us to tell when we look at somebody's run a lot of time our inclination is to look at the pace and go whoa that was too fast like you ran that run too hard and they say oh no but it was conversational it was easy we don't know as coaches it's hard to know because looking at just pace is very hard we look at heart rate often but then again somebody's heart rate may be elevated for whatever reason and sometimes the our, especially our wrist um heart rate monitors can be off and can actually lock into cadence versus so we don't always know um so even as coaches it's a challenge for us to be able to um coach people to make sure they're running that easy pace so we may sound like we're broken records over and over again of slow it down slow it down slow it down but really pace is one of the only metrics that we have to, to gauge. And if we see somebody running an easy run at a pace that's close to their marathon pace, or, you know, within a few seconds or 30 seconds, of marathon, pretty good guess that they're running at a little bit too fast, but it's even hard for us as coaches. So we really rely on our runners to say, was that really, truly look at yourself and really assess your effort. And, um, it's, it's a, it's a trust game because many will say, yeah, 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 that was easy. And, we have to um, we have to trust that, but it is it's very hard for us even as coaches to be able to assess that. Yeah, so we have so many more tips, but we've now been yakking for a good hour. So I think we'll save our next set of coaching tips for um, our next coaching episode. We try to do one of these about once a month. So why don't we just kind of summarize the the things we talked about briefly and just kind of close this out with some things that people can keep in mind. So first of all, um, assess where you are right now when deciding when to start your next training cycle. Look at the factors we discussed, which includes your base weekly mileage and what you've been doing over the past several months in terms of long runs to decide whether you want to give yourself anywhere between three and six months to start your marathon training cycle and anywhere between three, four, three and four months to start your half marathon training cycle. And next is to think about uh, when signing up for a race, recognize that you might have some anxiety and that's totally normal. And don't let that stop you from putting yourself out there. Give it your best shot and recognize that everyone is in the same boat. And third is when you are starting your marathon training cycle, be really smart about it. Think about the little things. Think about your pacing. Think about your nutrition early on so you can implement that if you need it. And of course, we talk about this all the time. Think about your strength training and recognize that we'd rather see runners run a little bit less to implement more strength training so that you can get to the start line injury free and ready to have a successful race. Yeah. As coaches too, you know, if people have questions, call us, reach out to us via email um, through our website. Um, we're happy to help give some guidance. Our speed and strength program right now is actually a really good, you know, you talked a little bit before about dialing back on the mileage and before you're adding speed and our speed and strength program, which just started two weeks ago. So it's not too late for people to join um, who are experienced runners who have some, you know, experience running. Um, but that is a really great we've found over the years a great base for marathon training and a great kind of segue into marathon training by pulling back on that mileage gives your body a little break, but gives you a chance to work on some of the speed you might not work on during marathon training. Um, so that type of 
approach, um, whether it be through her speed and strength or just kind of on your own, is is really, we've found over the years, a really good base. We always have runners who go on from speed and strength. Then we finish that program. This year, we finished the end of May. So we'll start training for marathons in June or July, which is perfect timing for fall marathons. It gives them a really good base. And we found like really successful. Um, it, it's really helped with success at the, at the marathon and half marathon distance. Um, so getting in that like you said, pulling back on the on the distance and working on on some speed. So, um, you know, give us a call, email us, shoot us a message through social media. If you've got questions about your specific um, situation or race that you're looking at. Um, and before we close it out, we want for those who lasted all the way to the end of our of our podcast, we want to uh, announce our contest for a big goodie bag of um, gifts from our awesome sponsors. So um, UFOs is one of our sponsors, Recovery Shoes, um, Lily Trotters Compression Socks. So wear the Lily Trotters Compression Socks with your UFOs shoes and you are like good to go for recovery post run. And um, Spy Belt, which we've always used for many, many years. I probably had mine for a couple decades and is my go-to for carrying any items. I even use it just in everyday life to carry around my phone and um, you know any extras, my keys, that sort of thing. So we are gonna give away a goodie box of all three of those, Lily Trotters socks, a Spy Belt and a pair of UFOs shoes to one of our listeners. And all that we ask is that you share our podcast with your networks, either social media or otherwise, tag us on social media. Um, because we don't always see all of those or you may not be able to tag us or maybe you're sharing it in a different way, shoot us an email at Julie and Lisa, that's J-U-L-I-E-A-N-D-L-I-S-A at runfartherandfaster.com. Just let us know how you shared it. Um, and you will be entered into our drawing for our goodie box of, of um, our, some of our favorite running gear. Sounds great. Well, Lisa, I hope you have a great week. We have a couple of guests coming up the next two weeks that we feel will really um, will be very informative for our listeners. So stay tuned for that. So in the meantime, I hope that you have a great week and happy running. Happy running, Julie. Happy spring. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryan. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.